Guys, we're going to start a series on the abundant life, and uh, the series is called Filled and Overflowing. Filled and Overflowing, and, and um, really what that's, what that's talking about is, really comes out of the command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It is a command that you and I be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, so I thought I would do a series on that, but to be honest with you, I feel very, when I've actually been processing this for about four or five months, and I've been, for a lot of that time, I was wrestling with God about doing this series, because I feel very inadequate. Like, a lot of times, you you, you have a sense that George kind of is a little bit confident in what he's going to talk about. Like, he seems to know what he's talking about. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I do know about this topic, but I feel inadequate to share it. But yet, I also recognize, and it's something that God has been showing me, it's something that we need right now. Um, why? Well, you know, I listen a lot to Christian music, and uh, a few years ago, there was a group. Uh, how many of you know Casting Crowns? Okay, all right. They had the song, Slow Fade. Okay. Um, you, you need to listen to that song. Because we're all in a slow fade. Um, whether we realize it or not, we're all in a slow fade spiritually. Till one day you wake up and you realize, like, what, what happened to me? And a lot of times we don't even realize it. So, I, I want to talk... As we begin this series today, first of all, we're in Revelation chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be page 646 in the Pew Bible. Now you say, we were just in Revelation last fall. I understand, but there's one church we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a few things out of this church to help us today. Because we're going to ask ask ourselves the question, I'm doing okay I'm doing okay because, like, is this what it is to be a Christian? Is this what it is to to have a spiritual life? Is this what church is all about? Okay? And and I'm asking that as a question because the fact of the matter is I don't think we're doing okay. I think we got a problem, and it's the problem of the slow fade. So I'm just going to make a few points here, first of all. Number one, I'm going to put a statement up on the screen that reflects where the leadership is at, okay? And we've communicated that to you in many ways over the last few years, okay? So, John, put that up on the screen. We believe that God has something for our church, okay? We believe that. We believe that God has something for our church. You know, in our leadership especially, we, we, we uh, started meeting last fall, we, we kind of took a year break. We were kind of, we, we felt something a while back and we took a break for whatever reasons and then we started meeting again. And really the meetings they didn't start out well. They were actually meetings of frustration as we began to express our frustration with what we were seeing in our church, a lack of this and a lack of that. And, but we all came to a conclusion that what God wanted us to do is to be unified and take it one step at a time. And so we've been doing that. So we're at that place now where the leadership is waiting for the next step. 
of what God wants us to do. Because, I mean, we do believe that God wants to do something with our church. I believe that. I think that's why we're doing this series. So that brings me to my second point. John, if you go put that up. But we have to be ready for the next step. See, he hasn't shown us what the next step is. We knew what the, ste- we knew what the next step was in December, and we did that. It was something small, and God taught us through some things there. But since December, the leadership has been praying, God, what's the next step? What's the next step? What do you want us to do? Because we have this sense of where you're heading us, where, what direction you're wanting us to go to, but you don't want us to focus on the end picture. You want us to focus on what are the things that we need to do now to get us there, okay? And, and to be honest with you, God hasn't shown us yet. I'm just going to be honest with you. God hasn't shown us yet what that next step is. So if you were to talk to the men, and like I'm going to have a meeting with some of the men today, one of the boards, we really haven't sensed God. I mean, to be honest with you, the six months before when we would get together, everybody had a sense. God was telling us, moving us, moving us, moving us. Boom, January comes. Hasn't shown us anything more. What's going on? Well, as I've been praying, and as God was laying this series on me, what we're talking about is moving our church into the direction that he wants us to go. But stop for a moment. What's the church? Anybody, what's the church? People, yeah. It's the living organism. It's not the building, okay? It's not the incorporation with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You know, we're an incorporated entity, uh, whatever that means. It's, it's the people. But in order to take the next step, it's not just... The, everything has been up to this point moving the leadership the next step. The next step is we've got to be ready for the God to take the people to the next step. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? He's got to prepare us to take the next step. And so that's really why the leadership, I think right now there's silence, because we, the church, that's me and you, us individually, are you ready for this? We're not ready. We're personally not ready for him to show us the next step. So then that means that, okay, George, you've got to try to help them to get ready. So how do I do that, God? So I've been wrestling. How do, how do, I, how do I get us ready for the next step? Because I'll be honest with you, if you were to talk to any leader in this church, and not just in this church, if you were to talk... If we were to travel to Lori and I's home church down in Smicksburg, PA, and we were to talk to the deacons and the pastor of that church, they would say the same issue is happening with their church. If we were to travel over to any other church here in Kerwinsville, in Clearfield County, on the East Coast, in America, they all are having the same problem we are. We're all having the same problem. Here's what it is. 
commitment. The commitment level of people. It's changed. You don't need to put it up real quick right yet. I'm not ready to show it yet, okay? So go back, John. Don't read. Okay, because you're not ready. Okay. It's commitment levels. But you say, okay, but the commitment levels are actually the tip of the iceberg. Does anybody understand, you know, you know, like from National Geographic and so forth, when you see an iceberg in, in the water, it's not all up top. Actually, it's just sticking out a little bit. There's actually so much more beneath it, right? The commitment level problem that we have in our churches, that we have in this church, that we have in a lot of churches in America, are actually a reflection of a greater problem. It's our hearts. The problem is with our hearts. Because nothing's changed. You know, I was talking with my daughter, and she goes to a little church in Dallas, and she, she had a discussion. She's been going there, and uh, one of the elders came up to her and challenged Maddie. I mean, that just blows my mind. Did you would, Maddie is my firstborn. You know how firstborns are, do everything, you know? Challenged Maddie to take her commitment level another level deeper. And she was shocked by that, but it was good. She actually told me she loves going to that church. She can't wait to go to the next service. And as I was listening to her, I thought, you know, I remember a time when I was the same way. When I literally could not wait to go to my church and be with the people of my church, my family. They were my family. I couldn't wait to be there because God was there. And I was learning so much and they were, do you know what I'm saying? Do you guys remember times like that? Okay. And, and you just, but, but if you were to talk about it right now, it's like, it's like, I remember when, but that's not true anymore. What, what's going on? There's a problem, folks. Don't we long for that again? I mean, if you know Jesus, you long for that. But, so, okay, now, John, you can put it up. Okay, this is from a book written 20 years ago called Historical Drift. It's a book about how all churches drift. In fact, if you look in the Old Test, in the New Testament, every one of the churches there drifted. And it's called Historical Drift, Must My Church Die by Arnold Cook. And he put up there typical evidence of a loss of commitment. So let me just kind of go through these. This is the typical evidence. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is true of everyone here, but you need, look at your life and see if it's true, if some of the things are true for you. Because that really is going to express whether or not there's a loss of commitment on your part. Okay? The first one is inconsistent Sunday morning attendance. Oh, yeah. I can remember when preachers would talk about, you get together in a preacher gather, how many, how many of you got coming to church? They're talking about how, how, how many come to your Sunday attendance. And so everybody would talk, well, you know, I've got this many on Sunday. Now when preachers get together, it's like, how many come during the month? 
because not everybody comes to church anymore. If I show up once a month, that's okay. i am done my Christian duty. Inconsistent Sunday morning attendance. Now, the second one, this is from his book, because you know I don't talk about giving, but token giving but not tithing. So what that's talking about, you're inconsistent in your giving. Third one, no apparent desire for serious Bible study. You know what, number one frustration I hear from my resonate Bible study leaders in this church. They love doing the studies. They love meeting with the people, but here's what they are frustrated by. The inconsistency of people in our church to be a part of a study. We'll have 15 sign up. By the end of the, of the, of the 13 weeks, there's only three. That's true in our church. That's true in a lot of churches. No public verbalization of faith. You know whether or not you're doing that. Do you tell people you believe in Jesus? Do people know that you're a Christian, or would they be surprised? No involvement or outreach or mission. And what we're talking about there is evangelization. No involvement whatsoever in trying to reach the lost. No apparent interest in becoming godly. This is one of the things that Cook wrote, Pastor Cook wrote in his book, is that there's no apparent interest anymore in being a godly person. If anything, we have articles that are being written, sermons on why it's okay to do whatever you want to do. And then the last two, I think, are pretty interesting because you say, how is that a reflection of a loss of commitment? Well, it kind of shows where people are at. Considered as a respectable adherent. Even though you are inconsistent in all of these things and your commitment levels are not where they should be, as far as anybody else thinks, you're, you're doing okay. You're a faithful member. And then finally... You're appreciative of the family services provided by the church. Hey, we're doing a lot for kids. That's not good. That's not good, folks. You know, in fact, there's a verse of Scripture that came out to me when I was really wrestling with this a month ago. And I have to be honest with you that this verse of Scripture is probably true for every one of us here, including myself. And it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. And it says this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And, and, and he adds, and I'd like to stop there, but Paul says this, and from such people turn away. He's basically saying, stay away from those kind of people. The problem is, is that's who we are. We don't have any expectation of God to do anything. Oh, maybe we want him to answer prayer, but we don't expect prayer to be answered. We don't expect lives to be changed. As we watch people wrestle with their addiction issues, as we watch people wrestle in their marriages and in the struggles there, you know what, I can remember coming out of school being so idealistic 
about that there were going to be these victories of people coming to the Lord and people, marriages being saved and this, that, or another. And here I am. I've been pastoring over 20 years now. I've been a believer for 32 years. And I have become, are you ready for this? It's right on my forehead, a cynic. Can God really do those things? Can he? 2 Timothy chapter 3, 5 seems to be my verse, isn't it? Is it your verse? That we have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof? See, this is why we've got to do this series. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I feel so inadequate because I need this just as much as you do. And, and, and here's the thing, this is not what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, is not some kind of new teaching as I've been looking and reading over the last few months. To be honest with you, up until about a hundred years ago, this used to be taught all the time in every kind of church, whether they were Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist, Pentecostal. This used to be taught everywhere. But through a lot of circumstances, and we'll talk about that next week, we lost it. And so we just exist. We know we're Christians. We know we should come to church. But we have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. How do we get there? Well, that brings us to Revelation. Well, actually, let me bring you one more point here. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to take the next step? Okay, I want you to hear me. Do you recognize there's a problem? You know, don't answer me. Just answer yourself in your heart. Do you recognize there's a problem? I, I do know that some of you are not going to see any of this. But for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now the question is, is do you want to stay there? Do you want to live there? Or do you want something so much more? Because he promised something so much more. Jesus is the one who said to you, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Seriously, Jesus, this is what you're talking about? No, that's not what he's talking about. What we're experiencing right now is not what he's talking about. We're experiencing something because we haven't grasped what he's talking about. He said, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And you'll never thirst again, but I'm thirsty. And I'm telling you that as, as a leadership of our church, when we've come together, and I'm, I'm telling you folks, when you gather, <laughs> when you gather nine men with different personalities together and try to bring them to unity on one thing, that's impossible! But they are unified. And they believe God wants us to do something. Because he's got something more for us as a church. So I'm asking you, 
to ask ourselves, are we willing to take the next step in your spiritual lives and as a church? Are you willing? Then let's go on a journey for the next few weeks. Let's address it. Let's talk about it. Because there is something so much more. So let's address it for ourselves. So we're in chapter 3 of Revelation. Now I'm going to do something. I had somebody make a suggestion to me. A lovely lady made a suggestion to me. And, and I'm listening to her. So we're, you have your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, look in your Bibles. If you're using a pew Bible. But if you can't even do that, I'm putting it up on the screen. Here it is. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. Did you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look at this letter. I know we've examined it before, so I'm not going to go really in-depth with this letter as I have before, but I just want to pull out some things for you. I'm going to talk about our condition, because what he's... That what he's describing to the church at Laodicea, can I be honest with you, he might as well be talking about the church in Kerwardsville. And then we're going to talk about the call to return. If there's one thing that you will find over and over when you read through the Old Testament and when you read through the New Testament, God is continually calling to his children, his people, to return to him. Come back to me. Come back to me. He's like a father, the prodigal son's dad, who's waiting on the porch, longing for what? The prodigal to come running down the lane again. Do you know what I'm saying? So let's look at it. Let's look at our condition. Because I think the Bible actually brings it out a little bit better than any of us could ever bring it out. Here's the first one. Our spiritual lives are bankrupt and we do not know it. Our spiritual lives are bankrupt, and we do not know it. He says to them, you think you're rich and that you have everything you need and you're doing okay, but the problem is is that you're naked and you're wretched and you don't even know it. You're spiritually blind to your true condition. Isn't that true of us? 
We are so busy with our lives, so busy at work, so busy with family stuff. And if you've got teenagers, you're just busy, period, carting people everywhere. And the fact of the matter is, is you're so busy that you haven't even taken a moment and you think you're doing okay because I was in church on Sunday twice a month. And you don't really know where you're at. Somebody comes up to you and asks you a question. When's the last God at time God answered a prayer? You get uncomfortable. Because you can't remember. But you're doing okay. You've never been better. You're super. But the fact of the matter is, you're bankrupt. You're spiritually bankrupt. You don't know it. You're struggling with the same old things over and over again. To talk about victory, you don't even know what that word means. That's like some old Bible word from somewhere else, some old church teaching of long ago. What does that mean? That's our condition. So when I'm talking about, I'm talking about me too, folks. I'm not talking about just you. I'm talking about we're not good. We're not good here. In fact, here's the second thing he says to them. This is what it blows my mind. We've learned to live life alone. Let me say that again. We have learned to live life alone. But here's what I want you to see. That's true of us, isn't it? Because think about it. You can go... See if this is true. You could go a whole day without thinking about what God wants for your life or what God wants you to do today in that situation or what God wants you to do with that person that you're coming in contact with or with that situation. In fact, the only times, probably the only time that we even think about God is in the moment that we pray before a meal, if we remember to do that. Or when there's a crisis happening. Oh, I don't need you! Or if you need a parking place at Walmart. Right? We've learned to live life alone. I hate to say that about believers, but that's where we're at. We, we're self-sufficient. That's what the problem was with the church at Laodicea. That's what the problem is with George. I can do this. God gave me a brain. Didn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? It's not in the Bible. That was from somebody who didn't understand the abundant life. <clears throat> See, this is where we're at. This is our condition. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because this is where I can move on to the next point, which is like, okay, what do we do about this? But I think we gotta we got to linger here a moment, okay? Because 
this is one of those things where like when we point out what the issue is with myself and with you, we kind of want to just, okay, let's move on. But no, 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 you, you and I have to let that sink in. You and I have to let it sink in that we're not doing as good as we think we are. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And you have to take the moment to acknowledge that. I'm not asking you to stand up and say, okay, George, you're right, buddy. It's me. No, no, I'm not asking that. First of all, sit down. Didn't ask you to do that, nor do I want you to do that. But I do want you to sit down and tell yourself that. Because public stuff sometimes is meaningless, okay? It's what goes on on the inside of your heart. And so somehow you've got to take a moment and be real with yourself and say, hmm, I'm bankrupt. I am spiritually bankrupt, God, and I'm living life alone. And if I'm like that, I wonder how many other people are like that, and no wonder our church isn't doing anything. No wonder you won't want to take us to the next step. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to process that. You say, well, well, hold on a second. I don't know if I agree with that, George. You're, you're saying that me and my spiritual life can affect the whole church? Come on. I mean, I could believe that you would affect the whole church, George, but me? Uh-uh. Ain't possible. Really? Did you ever read the book of Joshua? Had a big victory at Jericho. God did a mighty thing. Next time they want to go to the village of Ai and they want to take the village of Ai. In fact, the scripture records that the war council is there and the generals are telling Joshua, hey, we, we, you know, this is just a little small thing, Josh. Uh, you know, we'll just take a few men and we'll, we'll take care of this. And they go and they have the biggest defeat ever yet. And it's like, whoa, whoa. What's going on here, God? I mean, we just took Jericho. You just took Jericho. AI? That'd be like Grampian repelling you, okay? Or Kerwin's, Kellytown repelling you. Do you understand what I'm saying? How's that possible? Oh, excuse me. If you're from Grampian and I offended you, please forgive me. <laughs> listen, I don't listen to him anymore. No, no. Grampian's a wonderful community, okay? All of Clearfield County is wonderful, all right? Here's what was going on. One guy, one guy named Aiken took a piece of cloth and a gold bar. What's the big deal about that? God said, don't take anything, destroy it all. One guy kept the whole million plus Jews from doing what they were supposed to do. So yeah, it is significant. Every one of us are holding the church back. Can I say that again? If you want to write it down, every one of us are holding the church back. Did you hear what I'm saying? 
every one of us are holding the church back from what God wants us to be. Because we're bankrupt and we're trying to live life alone. But here's the wonderful thing. It's not wonderful about our condition. It's wonderful that God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't want us to be there. Did you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't want us to be there. That's why I think he was pressing this series upon my heart for so long. And, and that's why I don't think he's not given up on our church. I mean, think about it, folks. I've been here 17 years. Some of you have been here a lot longer than I have. Some of you have been here longer than I've been stomping around on this earth. Do you understand the church is over 70-some years old? There have been many times that this place should, have, place should have closed its doors. But for some reason, God didn't do that. Why? Because he had something in mind. But he needed a people. He needed a people to be ready for what he had in mind. So here's the call to return, because you're saying, okay, what do I do about this? What do I do about this? Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He says this in verses 18 through 20. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes have, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. First of all, Jesus offers us an overflowing spiritual life. He's offering it to you. It's always been the offer. From the beginning when he was walking among his disciples, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He says to the woman at the well, if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. He says, buy from me the clothing, the righteousness that you need. I will give you eye salve to open your eyes to reality. I'm offering you life. I'm telling you that there is so much more, folks. There's so much more, George, than what you have right now in the relationship with me. And it's not what, what some group says over here. It's, it's not some, you're not going to lose your mind. I will have something so much more, a personal relationship with me that is vibrant, where you expect me to answer fair. In fact, you're sometimes blown away when I don't answer fair. Like, why didn't that happen? I prayed. I should have seen an answer. You know what? Now we pray, we get blown away when God answers. Like, how did that happen? That's because we're bankrupt. Jesus offers us an overflowing spiritual life. Do you want it? Folks, I want that. I want that kind of life. Here's the second thing. 
Jesus is asking to be a part of your life, but you have to allow him. Let me read to you verse 20. We often use this verse 20 in reference to uh, unbelievers. I've seen it as a part of gospel presentations. But verse 20, in context of the passage, is not talking about unbelievers. Verse 20 is talking about the church. It's talking about you. It's talking about me. Listen to what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Dining is an intimate action in most cultures. It even is in our culture. What do we do when we want to get with somebody? We invite them what? To come over and eat or we take them out to what? Eat. When you go on your first date, you always go and get something to what? Eat. All right? So what's going on here? He's he's offering us, he's asking to be a part of your life, but you have to allow him. That's what he's doing. See, you're spiritually bankrupt, and, 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 and the doors of your heart are closed because you're so self-absorbed in whatever it is. You're wrapped up and defeated by whatever it is. You're going in alone, but God's knocking. Hey, let me in. I have something so much more for you. Let me in. I want to be a part of your life. Quit going in alone. This is not what you were saved for. There's something so much more here. Let me in. That's what he's asking, folks. you got to let him in. First of all, do you hear him calling to you? I think some of you have heard him. It's that still small voice, that quiet voice. It's not an audible voice, but it's a, it's a desire that he's planted in you for something more in your Christian lives. And you know it, you hear it, and he's saying, let me in. I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. And I will dine with you. I will, I will be intimate with you. I will have a relationship with you. Do you want it? A lot to think about, isn't it? So let me just wrap it up. God wants to do something with you. He wants to take you and I to the next step. But we can't go the way we are. One of the things I'll just tell you, when we were meeting with as our men and we would gather together, nine men gather together and talk about what is God showing you, what is God showing you, what is God showing you. There's one consistent thing besides unity that would come out of those meetings that everybody felt very strongly that God was calling us to do. And it was one word, 
One word. Do you want to know what that word is? I'll tell you what that word is. Repent. Acknowledge our sin and repent. And turn our hearts back to who? God. Now, here's where we're at. This is the first message. And I told you, I feel awkward. So, but I feel like we've got to continue on in this journey. And so if you're like me and you want to continue on in this journey, can I call you to do something? Make it a priority to be here because next week we're going to talk about the next thing we need to know as we try to be prepared for what God wants us to be. But you know what? I can't make you be here. It's up to you. And I'm hoping and praying, and I prayed this morning before I came out here this morning, I come, come to the church and get your coffee ready. Um, I prayed that God would speak to your hearts. And so that's what my prayer is. Do you want to stay the same way or do you want something more? Let me pray for you.